This is a medicinal mass network production. Enjoy. Hello, truth seekers, and welcome to the FBI Basement, the podcast where we review every single episode of the 90s phenomenon, The X-Files. Every episode? Every last one. Even the ones Duchovny directed? Yep, yep, yep. Oh, and we might also try and review some of the other X-Files material, too, but that's a little bit in the future. Like the books of Kevin J. Anderson? No. No, 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 no. The Triple X-Files? Maybe. <laughs> that's an adult-only podcast right there. Oh, uh, I am Special Agent Todd, the moderator for the evening, and I am joined today by my illustrious panel, first off, my partner, who was sent by my superiors to spy on my activities, Shannon. And now I have things in my brain. Also joining us from upstate New York, artist extraordinaire and OG member of the X-Files fandom, the government denies all knowledge of Marissa. Who? Exactly. Also today, the podcasting guru and our resident extraterrestrial entity, Valentine. Hello, humans. And the very conspiratorial Vanya. Here. Now, before we get started, I want to send a special shout out to the Medicinal Mass Podcast Network, where you are probably listening to this podcast, where you may also listen to podcasts such as The Adventures of Todd and Shannon, also starring me and Shannon. You may hear Family Against Humanity. You may hear, what else we got, Val? Uh, we have Masters of Failure. Um, we've also got the Medicinal Mass Podcast. Right on. A growing empire of podcasts. We're going to take over the world, people. <laughs> These podcasts are, of course, available wherever you steal your on-demand audio, be it through iTunes or Android or what do they got, Stitcher now? I hear they bury it in pirate booty. Okay. <laughs> I, I should also note that the uh, esteemed Dr. J. Watson Updog is joining me as well. Oh, is that where the dog is? Okay. We're going to, basically what we're going to do is we're going to watch every episode of The X-Files. We're going to uh, do a quick summary here and give our thoughts on this. Before we start, though, I think that we should sort of uh, travel back in time to 1993 when this show debuted. And I seem to remember it being a pretty big deal at the time. Yeah, it, it kind of comes in that sort of weird period of time where we wanted something like this. As I understand it, uh, it began with uh, Chris Carter uh, going to develop a show uh, for Fox. He'd gotten pretty tired of doing sitcoms for Disney, I think, at that point, And uh, was given $2 million to develop a pilot that would be based off of uh, the 70s show, Kolchak the Night Stalker, or inspired by at least, but also drew inspirations from the Twilight Zone, from Night Gallery, uh, <clears throat> all sorts of these weird science fiction shows that used to be on primetime a lot. You're also, I don't know if you're going to get to it yet or not, but we're also talking about about this time is when um, the Majestic Project gets uh, declassified in parts. Right, the Majestic Project, uh, the reports from Roswell, New Mexico, there was kind of a craze when it came to alien abductions at this point. And I think there was even a show about Roswell that was called Roswell, wasn't it? Literally, there is a show called Roswell. It's not as good as you would expect. No, but Jericho is really good. Not like it has nothing to do with Roswell. Nothing to do with Roswell. I think it may be the same production people. but And Luke Perry. Luke Perry is there. Well, for some reason, I was thinking Clive Barker's Jericho, but that was a video game. And awful. Just awful. That's, uh, that's, a, uh, that's for another time, I believe. <laughs> this show came along and was almost immediately the new water cooler show. This is the show, you know, everyone today, Monday morning, they're sitting, they're talking about Game of Thrones, or they're talking about their Walking Deads, or whatever else the kids are watching these days that I don't watch. Doogie uh, Hauser. Doogie, yeah, Doogie Hauser, that guy. Wait, are we talking about Doogie Bowser? Wait, no. No, the but this was the show that sort of inspired that kind of water cool water cooler talk 
probably for the first time since maybe Twin Peaks. Which isn't that far off from that, actually. So, And I, I think that there were a few, uh, uh, a few references in the first pilot that sort of um, uh, make you think about Twin Peaks, really. References or direct stealing from David Lynch? Uh, maybe, maybe. Uh, so this came along, and it got very popular. By its height in season five, it was drawing about uh, 27 million viewers every week, which is huge. Do you think maybe um, this is where all the flat earthers came from? Uh, where, what do you mean? I don't know. Just uh, people really started questioning shit when, uh, like, the... The UFO conspiracy shows came on, and a lot of people will quote those shows still to this day. Oh yeah, the conspiracy shows, and they were very—it was very big. There was a large thing about mistrust in the government, which may have had something to do with who was in the White House at the time. I'm not sure. Well, and again, you have uh, MK Ultra, you have the Roswell, and uh, you have Project Blue Book, all sort of hit the declassification because of a change in Freedom of Information Act, and then you find out, holy shit, they were giving us acid kind of stuff. So They never yeah. gave me any acid. Where's my acid? You were like 10. Doesn't mean I wouldn't have enjoyed a good trip. So the uh, this, this show premieres uh, to a resounding success. But it all began with the first episode, the pilot episode, which was cleverly entitled. It's still called Pilot. Pilot, right. First thing I noticed when we watched it this new time. <clears throat> if I may stop you there. Actually, it was <laughs> called I Want to Believe. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> what the heck was that? It's uh, 1993 Shannon who had the novelizations. Ah, I see. Marissa, you got something for us? I was about to ask, like, where from, but she said the novelizations, because I had never heard that before. I also never heard that Chris Carter did uh, Disney sitcoms. I never looked into that. Uh, Todd did some research before we went into this, and yeah, if you want to know how insane uh, a fan I was at one point, uh, I did have the novelizations of, uh, I think, that and Darkness Falls. So... And I also read the Kevin J. Anderson books, but that's a heartache for another time. Did you, uh, what'd you think of, uh, antibodies? Uh, I look back at it now and I'm, I'm not fun. I'm not fond of it. I really am not. Um, I kind of liked it at the time and, uh, having gone through that kind of nonsense in this house, uh, I hate it. <laughs> I, I refuse to read it again because I, I feel like it was, uh, intense for a 12 year old. But that's about it. <laughs> okay, so we were all pretty young when this when this first hit. So it's like it, we weren't necessarily the target audience, but it was the return to uh, to prime time of science fiction, where the only science sci fi you got on network prime time, if you were lucky, was maybe Star Trek. Whoop. Was a or, or, but that but I think those were on syndication though, weren't they? I'm not quite sure when they got into syndication. Are you talking about the original Star Trek or Next Generation? Uh, Next Generation, I think that Next Generation started in syndication, didn't it? Uh, I, I'm not sure about that. Or it had a regular. It, 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 I, I knew it had different time slots where, where in different places where I went. Maybe I'm wrong. I could be wrong about this. <laughs> but Star Trek was pretty much the only game in town in terms of any kind of science fiction in primetime network TV. And I think at that time, Next Gen was still running, maybe, and Deep Space Nine was running, because, yeah, Voyager launched in 95. Uh, the thing that had also just ended was Quantum Leap, which uh, finally ended in 93. Now, that's, that's another show we can really dig into. That's one that I remember growing up and watching my parents watch. We, and like, we, being like, that calculator is so cool. We could, but then I'd also have to get into my Belisario damage, and I'm, I've not gotten past that yet. <laughs> All right. Um, so let's go. Let's dive into the show. Okay. It opens. You get a cold open for the first episode. No theme song. Just the X-Files. Just, the, just a, an ominous like tone 
and the title splayed across the screen, which kind of surprised me because I thought that Mark Snow's theme was there from the beginning. And he was wrong. Oh, so wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. In fact, like, you know, the, the, the music from the first episode sounds almost so like they, that like they, they cut and paste it from other shows, other suspenseful shows, or just had like this bank of throwaway music that they could pick, put together. So the first episode is really, really suffers for lack of that theme and other things. I, it does kind of come off like somewhere between uh, Isina Morani's. Uh, music that he does for the close and open of um, Twin Peaks and, and uh, Law and Order. He, yeah, Mark Snow has yet to embrace his inner uh, Brian Eno with ambient music. Well, they, they were definitely going for like a Law and Order thing there. Like that was intentional. Like you see it in like how it has that murder beginning, that horror um, intro, and then it cuts into people like finding the body afterwards. Well, yeah, but it all sounds like it's done on a cheap Casio that um, uh, you, you could also write, you know, do the score for a por- for a pornographic movie on it, a '90s pornographic movie. Exactly, like that slassy softcore starring Shannon Tweed. Those guys did get paid a lot. You know, they had to work, you know, separate jobs, so you get a lot of crossover. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. As Marissa mentioned, this the show begins in the forests of Oregon, where a woman in a nightgown is being chased through the forest by an unseen presence. She trips, falls into the clearing. The wind is 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 whipping around her, and white light from above. A figure approaches her, also glowing with the same white light. And in the next scene, the cops are examining her body. <laughs> There's also something cool you want to note uh, with the whirlwind in that scene. Uh, that's actually one of the first uses of digital uh, effects in TV. Oh, really? Yeah. Was, it's, it, was it completely digital? Because it looked like they used some like wind turbines there or something there. Uh, if I understood it, they lit it and they used wind turbines. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong and whatever. But then they added the leaves, which is why there aren't as many. They just sort of added those a little bit later in post-production with digital. I never would have noticed that unless you pointed that out. It was a yeah. subtle effect. Yeah, oh god, the uh, effects that they use are super subtle because um, they had $2 million to shoot, shoot all of this. So, there you go. Okay, so when the cops are investigating the body, the, the faces ID'd because this is apparently a small town, everybody knows everybody, and someone mentions that uh, she was a member of the graduating class of 89, and uh, looks to the sheriff and is like, "It's happening! Happening again, isn't it?" And that's the that's the the, the initial teaser. The next thing we see is Washington D.C., where FBI agent Dana Scully is in a meeting with Chief Scott Blevins and a mysterious man smoking a cigarette. I'm sure we'll see him again very soon. Scully. Nope. nope. Oh, last time you'll see him. He's not important to the story at all. Scully is assigned to work with Special Agent Fox Mulder, who is a former profiler who has managed to net a few different, uh, at least one uh, high-profile serial killer, who has become obsessed with an extracurricular activity no- known as the X-Files. He, These are the files that the of the cases that uh, are chalked up to unexplained phenomena and tossed away in the basement of the FBI, which incidentally is where Mulder's office is. <laughs> Scully, I'm quite sure, is wondering who in the hell she pissed off <laughs> to get this kind of assignment, but she goes down to the basement <laughs> to meet uh, Fox Mulder in the next nine seasons, give or take with. And uh, it's adversarial. Yeah, I really like how... Um... She's completely uh, a true skeptic from the beginning, though. Like, she's adversarial because that's, you know, her nature. Also, Mulder's a dick. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And and it seems like it's defensive on his part. Like, he's seen her type before. Uh, yeah, I don't know if anyone is here, but we are going to be getting into the many loves of Fox Mulder. And, oh, God. Oh, dear God. 
but they've stuck him with partners before. They've stuck him with partners before, and they've probably had him under that same microscope before. So it's sort of probably has gone this way many times. Uh, Mulder brings up the uh, organ case with uh, Karen Swenson and uh, a number of other cases that are all seemingly connected by two strange marks on the small of her back that, if I'm being honest, they look like extra nipples. Yeah. Skin tags. Yeah, the makeup was not what they spent that money on. I, I could do that with what I have in my basement right now. Yeah, but uh, the uh, and you know also mentions there's some science there that she he throws up some chemistry onto the overhead projector because there's a unknown substance that was gathered from around that from around that area in the autopsies and. At that point, and uh, at that point, the two sort of have their first argument of uh, if science and conventional knowledge and logic cannot explain what is happening, should we not also consider the fantastical? And this is the point where uh, my dear esteemed husband gets mad at me because apparently it's been fifteen years since I've watched this. Still know it all by heart. <laughs> she was literally reciting every piece of dialogue. I'm like trying to. This is distracting. <laughs> Hey, when you get into it, you get into it. And so off we go to Oregon on a plane. Somehow Mulder is sleeping, is laying across like three seats and sleeping, which I don't think you really get away with on a plane. No, no. I want to know who is booking these flights for the FBI that he gets three seats. Because you know what? I was caught in coach and when I went to England. And no, I didn't even have room for my legs. After a brief case of some sudden turbulence, the plane lands without much without much issue. Though it's like a brief moment of like it's almost like a brief gotcha scare right there, just to try and uh, ramp up the ramp up the um, uh, suspense on a show that hasn't been very suspenseful just far. Uh, driving into town on their snazzy FBI rental car and discussing the case, uh, the Car's radio malfunctions on the, and sends out a, a high-pitched squeal. Mulder stops the car, pulls a can of spray paint from the trunk, and marks an X on the road where the, where the um, uh, interference occurred. <laughs> Just in case. That's his gang sign for the X-Files. Right. He's, he's tagging the area. Was that what he was doing? <laughs> the two arrive at a cemetery where Mulder ex- exhumes the body of the third victim, Ray Soames, despite the protests of the county medical examiner, which uh, there's apparently some uh, discrepancy in the um, uh, paperwork filed by that guy. Uh, During the um, uh, the excavation of the coffin, the strap breaks, sending the coffin careening downhill, and it knocks itself open against a tombstone, and it appears... (laughs) To not be human. Ooh. Yeah, that's, oh, dang. That scene was wicked as fuck. Yeah, that's where they probably blew their two million budget, right? Uh, Making the weird um, uh, alien monkey corpse. The face on that thing was just awful. We should point as, out as in frightening. Yeah, we should point out that we we do have someone in the house that is familiar with monster makeup and. Marissa, we are happy to have your expertise here on this. What did, what did you make of the um uh, of the, the corpse there? I, it didn't look bad to me. Um, watching it again, it holds up. It looks like what it is. Wait, didn't they say like it was a monkey or something? I I, I kind of lost it at that point and follow along. Uh, that was uh, Scully's uh, estimation of what it might be. That it might be some kind of mutated orangutan. That's what she wanted it to be. Okay, all right. So they did a good job of making it look like plausibly like that, but probably something else. Anyone who is aware of abduction mytho- of alien mythology and, and alien abduction stories is going to be sort of aware of what this is supposed to look like here. Uh, there's, of course, an autopsy, the first of what will be many autopsies that uh, Dana Scully performs in this show. Uh, during the autopsy, she finds a strange implant in the being's nasal cavity. I didn't see exactly where she pulled it from, so that's nice to know it was the nose. Uh, she makes a comment of it later and uh, uh, during the episode where she's doing her report. Um, 
they where actually, I think again, they show the x-ray on it, I think, too. Uh, they do. And also, again, I've seen this episode. I don't really know how many times. I think I may have seen it about as many times as I've seen the Star Wars trilogy. So, and that's a lot. Got some now, catching up to do. Now, Soames uh, confessed to the first two murders when these uh, killings began. But uh, they couldn't find enough evidence that he actually did it. So he wound up in a state mental hospital where it just so happens that other members of his graduating class are being, are, are being treated. Uh, one, one bound to a wheelchair and the other uh, in a persistent vegetative state. Uh, during, a meet, during a meeting with the, with the, with the, with the, with the wheelchair-bound girl, uh, completely freaks out and develops a horrible nosebleed when Mulder and Scully tried and talk to her. Uh, Mulder has that ability on women. And um, uh, during the ensuing struggle, Mulder yanks up the back of her pajama tops to reveal the same two markings that had been found on the other victims. He knew exactly where they were. Wasn't there like three mosquito bites? Uh, there were two markings on the uh, on the victims. It was that, that we're getting to the mosquito bites here. <laughs> they make a decision to go out into the woods where the body had been found, or where the bodies had been found, to investigate that. Um, uh, where Scully finds a strange substance on the ground, looks like maybe sand or ash, maybe some, maybe the remnants of a campfire. Uh, she doesn't get to examine examine too much longer. Uh, before she is seen, before a bright light is seen through the trees, and then we cut to commercial, and we have our first alien encounter, Cocktees of the series. Yeah, a little chubby. Yeah, and you know, but, the, but when it comes back, it's sort of shown that it's the sheriff, and he's you know shining his bright you know Ford pickup headlights onto the uh, into the forest to flush out Mulder and Scully. Uh, because the wild North American Mulder is attracted to lights, much like a deer. True enough, true enough. They say that, hey, we're doing an investigation, but local law enforcement is being uncooperative in of it at this point. Scully still has a sample, that sample of the, of the strange um, uh, substance she found in the woods. And the two head back to their hotel around the time a rainstorm starts. Scully is typing up her report power goes out uh and uh, since this is a fox show in the 90s it's it's exactly one episode in when the female lead winds up in her underpants bow chicka bow wow yeah but she's wearing those good catholic underwear that you know like the granny panties and the white bra with the super underwire so i also thought they were way too big it, it's like, no, she cannot be sexy at all. Here, let's put her in the most comfortable underwear possible, which I, I, I approve, approve of, of course, especially if you're going to go trace around in the woods. But it's like, eh, yeah, no, no. But while she's uh, about to enjoy a nice candlelit bath, when she suddenly feels something on her back and flips out. Wait a second. I've completely skipped a scene. Have you? Yes, I have. I forgot that on their way back to the hotel, when the rainstorm starts, they sudden they suddenly uh, lose nine minutes of time. Their car goes dead, and they are apparently right over top of the X that Mulder had made earlier. Oh, right, where he completely explains what is going on, and it makes no goddamn sense of where he came to that conclusion, which is the most unbelievable part of this episode. I want to. Like, this is the point. This is one of the points in the episode where Mulder gets like really, really animated. I think this is the most insane you see him yet in the series. Well, we do also have him singing Shaft later, so I don't think he really gets the kind. Of, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't get kind of the, the the kind of like loony, uh, excited much in the rest of the series. I don't think much more of a low key nut job. <laughs> It, the acting was a bit soapy there. Like it, the, there was that. There was the scene where they're talking in the. And I think that was. You're going to get to that one, in the bedroom after she sees the thing on her back. Right. So fast forward to the hotel. The power goes out, which you know 
pretty much stops Scully from typing her report because that's a 90s laptop and therefore had about, what, about six minutes of battery life? Hey, she wasn't on a word processor, which is like super advanced for back then. Right. So she's making the, so she's making this report. It get, it, she's, she's taken a bath um, and uh, feels the back of her, her, the small of her back and flips out, runs to Mulder's room to have him what? check it out. <laughs> Wearing a flasher's uniform. Right. She's got on her robe, right. And she's down there. Uh, this is a guy she just met, like maybe a couple days ago. I, I felt like that was a little bit much, like the going right into his arms thing. Uh, turns out it's just mosquito bites, and she kind of collapses into his arms and and post freaking out. And I think that's the this was the point where they actually kind of connect on some sort of uh, more emotional level because the next scene we see is Mulder sort of confessing the truth behind his backstory. <laughs> Who wants to give us Mulder's backstory? Anybody? Anybody? Uh, you. His sister was kidnapped by aliens. And his mind uh, somehow repressed those memories. They resurfaced later when he was put under hypnosis. Which sadly, you know, we've pretty much confirmed is like false, you know? Yeah, more or less. <laughs> For 1993, though, it makes perfectly good sense. So please judge it on 1993 merits. That is the reason that he um, uh, first came into the X file, uh, discovered the X files, and read hundreds of case files, and uh, searched for, and began his search for the truth, and found out and found his, himself soon being blocked from receiving classified information. He's allowed to continue because he has contacts in Congress. Do they ever sort of uh, explain exactly who those contacts are? Uh, yeah, you're going to actually meet that guy later. I also want to note, everyone on this panel, just remember that story that Mulder tells Scully in the hotel room. Because in the next episode, it's almost completely different. Yeah, but once again, it's a pilot. I did not notice that, and I might, I might just be forgetting now I, I might just pre-watch this episode. Yeah, just check out the story and just check out the reenactment when we get to Deep Throat. Because I think there's a reenactment in Deep Throat. And just see how much of that story that Mulder tells in the pilot is 100% accurate. Of course, the quiet moment is not going to last long as it is interrupted by a phone call. A woman informs them that the female mental patient they had spoken to that day is dead. Somehow, despite being confined to a wheelchair, she leapt out in front of a speeding car and was na- and, w- and was nailed. When examining the corpse, Scully notices that her clock, that her watch had had stopped at the exact same time that they lost that they lost the nine minutes of time on the uh, on the way back on the way back from the forest. W- would you call that irrefutable? Was he wearing a Casio? How like how reliable are we accounting that thing for? I think Mulder had a Casio. <laughs> Mulder had like a fancy digital watch. This one was a uh, girl was only wearing like a you know simple wristwatch. <laughs> when they make it back to the motel, they discover that their room is the hotel rooms are on fire and all the evidence seemingly destroyed. The daughter of the medical examiner before con- uh, contacts the agents. And tells them that she needs their help. She tells them that she has in fact awakened in the middle of the woods several times, though her father and Detective Miles arrive and take her away. When they go back to the cemetery to exhume the other victims, the only dev- the graves have already been dug up. And the coffins are missing. Mulder realizes that Billy Miles, the comatose patient, <laughs> is the one responsible for bringing the victims to the woods. Again, pulled somewhere out of nowhere as the explanation. This is confirmed when Scully goes back to goes back to examine Billy Billy again, and finds the strange ash substance on Billy on Billy's person. So they head back into the woods again to meet Detective Mills, who is now pissed off, and. Um, uh, <laughs> Is only stopped from blowing Mulder's brains out by the scream by hearing the screams of uh, of the other girl, the uh, medical examiner's daughter. 
there is a big flash of light and Billy and Teresa are recovered, unharmed, and somehow missing the two spots on their backs. Billy looks up and sees his dad, and the two enjoy a tearful uh, embrace. This definitely is a 90s show. Right. Mm-hmm. Billy is uh, goes under hypnosis to recount the events, which uh, tells how he was instructed by a device in his forehead to bring members of the uh, to bring members of his graduating class who had all been abducted years ago at a graduation party in the woods to come back and be tested by aliens. Of course, uh, Blevins and the Smoking Man very quickly dismiss and ask Scully if she can substantiate any of it, which it turns out she had the presence of mind to put the implant in her pocket before she rushed into Mulder's room that night. You never forget to take your streaker uniform with you in a blaze of fire, you know? Right, right. So she lays that on the desk and said that the lab analysis could not identify the material. When asked what Mulder believes of the situation, she responds only that Mulder believes that we are not alone. The next scene, late in the evening, Scully is Scully is staring at her alarm clock, probably think, wondering, wondering a thing or two about missing time, when Mulder calls her to inform her that the reports filed and all the paperwork from Oregon have been have gone missing. So all the evidence of what what went down is now it was now gone. The implant is then seen being carried by the strange cigarette smoking man into a large warehouse where it is placed with several others in a nondescript box in an evidence locker. To Some, be seen to be seen by top Men. Top men. They've got top men on the project. It's uh, the door. Uh, he closes the door behind him to reveal that he is deep in the bowels of the Pentagon, fade to black. So, uh, what did we think of this? Yeah, it uh, definitely leaves you thinking. You know, is it actually aliens? Is a smoking dude an alien himself? You know, like it, a lot of questions left open there, like with the conspiracy aspect. Yeah, this was definitely the beginning of what would become known as the Myth Arc. And I say that with a capital M, I want to point out. Myth Arc became uh, probably the biggest motivating factor of the show. It became the source of a lot of the gossip and fan theories. And and fans did love to uh, use their theories through that whole show. Uh-huh. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't have anything else but that now. Um, I would say it's, it's sort of weird. I tried to watch these, like, I think five or six years ago, uh, when I started writing again and I was like, oh, wow, no, thank you. And, uh, seeing it again, uh, to record this episode, actually, it was kind of nice. Uh, I kind of remembered what I liked about it and, uh, what I don't. So, and just the realization of the kind of nonsense we're going to have to go through. So, Marissa, I, I sort of went through the same thing. Like I tried rewatching a while ago and I'm like, uh, like it, it felt like droning to me. And then I actually sat down and gave it a chance again. And I remembered everything I loved about it. Like, uh, how I wouldn't have known about any of the, uh, supernatural aspects like, uh, operation paperclip and MK ultra, if it were not, were not for the show. Fine. Yeah. Your thoughts. Well, this is the first time that I watched it, as far as I know. Um, so I, I think the girl's name was Peggy. It was a like horrible acting scene, but um, overall, I thought it was pretty good. Oh, so you're brand new to this, are you? No, I've watched uh, later seasons, but not the early ones. Okay, so you're sort of starting, you know, starting fresh all over again with this, and should be interesting. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, I mean, no, I, I agree with Vanya. It's the uh, what you're getting into uh, is what is the pilot acting, which doesn't have to be good. This is not supposed to be good. This is just to show you what the potential can be. Uh, oh no, I, I love horrible acting. I, I really get a kick out of it, actually. So, 
Uh, yeah, actually, I made a note at some point where it's like I think they're in the um, in the diner, which has one of the coolest effects, uh, and especially in '93 because the nosebleed was on camera, um, which they actually just there's a weird way that they did that, where I think I made the note as oh honey, it if you if I stay here I'll die. Oh honey, you're already dying on the camera, so yeah. Um, yeah, oh yeah, I that was one of my favorite parts, and I actually said, you know, I I made a crack about it right after that was said. I I know exactly which uh, scene you're talking about. How, how did they do that? Okay, according to Chris Carter, and again, this is sort of from my fun little memories, um, because I'd seen the vignette on it. They shot that actress in a semi-profile because what they're hiding is there's a tube that's running down the side of her cheek to her nose and they're pumping blood out. Okay. All right. I thought that maybe they would have had something already in there and that she had touched her face or something. Cause it, there's, there's other ways to do that. Yeah. It looked like the other guy that touched her face, like maybe had just like a handful of blood or something. Well, apparently they wanted to do it twice and they had it for Peggy. Um, in that scene where she covers her face, but they couldn't get the thing to work. So they tried it again. And, that poor girl apparently just had blood all over her in weird spots. And it's that fake blood, which is just like 95% caro syrup, which is awful. Did, did they use one of those garden hose pump mechanisms? The uh, the pump spray? Uh, yeah, they did. Yeah, those will blow up on you. Okay, let me ask them uh, <clears throat> real quick. Uh, there's a few uh, first times here I want to point out. Um of course, it's the first appearance of Mulder and Scully, the first appearance of the cigarette-smoking man, who will become an integral part of it, played by Willoughby, Dave, Willoughby Davis. Does Blevins show up much more? I think that he's replaced by Skinner pretty quick. Funny you should mention that he does. Blevins shows up a couple of times. He's a, There's some Mythark stuff that he is a part of. And then he is subsequently... Um, you know what? I, I would normally just yell spoilers, but... This show is over 20 years old. If you haven't seen these episodes, then meh, you don't get to. Uh, subsequently, he is murdered uh, <laughs> at some point. Uh, we'll, we'll get to WTF. that. WTF. <laughs> All right. So. Uh, in fact, if you were asking, uh, he shows up again uh, in Conduit, Gethsemane, and he is then replaced uh, at the end of the season by um, Captain Smiles, as we like to call him. Is that Skinner? Mm-hmm. You say uh, we yes. like you're part of them. Okay, fine. I had names for them all. But yeah, uh, by the end of season one, he is replaced by Skinner. And then he does show up again, and uh, it it's conspiratory nonsense. And I say that having sat through a lot of myth arc. Okay, uh, another thing I kind of want to point out here, uh, we see one of Mulder's idiosyncrasies, you know, the weird thing he do. Uh, he was he spent much of the episode uh, just chowing down on some sunflower seeds. Yeah, I thought he was, like, uh, picking at his thumb. I was like, dude, you're not going to have any nail left by the time, you know. It didn't look good. He was, that was apparently sunflower seeds. Yeah, that was sort of like a running joke for the series, wasn't it? I think that sunflower seeds and his love of pornography. I can't believe like how much you guys actually catch, you know, I guess it took me like three hours to, you know, notice that my boyfriend had shaved, but, um, you guys sure do, uh, pick out a lot of things that I missed. We are geeks. It's what we do. I definitely had an American psycho Dexter-esque feel from, uh, Mulder. Like every time he was looking at a woman, he's like, I've already drugged you. And raped you, you know. I don't know. Every time, I did it's all very detached that. behavior. And it's funny to mention that since David Duchovny actually does have a problem with women. So, <laughs> uh, well, it's sort of they, they kind of make him a little bit more of a nut in the pilot than he ends up being in the show. <laughs> I mean, clearly in the show, he's still very obsessed, but he's not quite, you know, throwing his hands up in the air and hooping and hollering anymore. When he was showing her that slideshow in the beginning, he had to go through beforehand and pull out all of the nasty slides. I'm sure he left in a couple. He just didn't get to them. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm certain. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's it, 
you know, it's sort of like you, you, you very much there, for a while, Hollywood was really in love with the, the notion of the FBI profiler, right? It's like someone who can get inside the mind of a psychopath and probably would have been a psychopath, but for this or for that. And I think, I think it goes back to, um, will, uh, shoot. <laughs> the character you're thinking of is William Graham. William Graham from the Thomas Harris books and and from Red Dra- from Red Dragon or Manhunter you know, at and that point. Manhunter, if you prefer Michael Mann, <laughs> he sort of became they sort of became the 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 uh, the kind of uh, cinematic um, uh, mo- model for that kind of character going forward. You just nerded to nine right there. <laughs> and you know the sad thing is, I would have done it if he hadn't. <laughs> Well, the fun thing I was just listening to the Cinephiles podcast and the episode about um, uh, Silence of the Lambs, so there that goes for you. <laughs> I feel like there were like a, a lot of visual references to Silence of the Lambs, like literally, like the the part in the woods. A lot, a lot of the scenes you see with uh, Scully by herself are like you could go back and watch Silence of the Lambs and see a lot of the same angling and uh, focus. Well. Even in that, psych- where they're in the psychiatric hospital to go see uh, Peggy O'Dell and Billy Miles, that's very much like Clarice and um, I don't remember the character's name. Hannibal Lecter? Uh, no. God, no. No, the guy who runs the uh, Maryland psychiatric hospital. That. Chilton. I mean, look at her hair. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's why they made her a redhead, isn't it? It's like, oh, we need you to be like Clarice. You look a little more like Jodie Foster. <laughs> Which is a shame. She's got beautiful natural blonde hair. Um, yeah, and of course, the beginning we will we'll, we'll talk about it again. Uh, she got down to brawn panties in this episode because it's a Fox show, and Fox will delight in just ch- showing all the cheesecake of Gillian Anderson that they can for the next nine seasons. Mm-hmm. And she delights in it. She actually was very very excited to do some of those things. Uh. But they will. Uh, it's like I can remember, and uh, I'm going to date myself here. I can remember before, before you pushed the little button, the guide button on your remote. Before TVs had that, you had to go to get a magazine called a TV guide. And I think from like '93 to '98, a full two thirds of those covers of those magazines had Gillian Anderson on it. Yeah, actually, they did because I at some point probably had all of them. I had yep, dis- me too. Like I still have them put away. <laughs> They're starting to go dust. We had a disease. What uh, was the word for the fans? What was what were? Oh, we were X Files. P H I L E. I used to think it was X Files. Like it's so nerdy, you have to explain it. You have to explain how nerdy it is, and by the time you're done, they're like, "I get it. I get it." <laughs> this 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 uh show sort of developed its cult very very early on in the first season and went mainstream and went pretty mainstream like pretty quickly this was very heavily promoted by fox i believe at the time and got a primo time spot where when did it originally air fridays at eight o'clock fridays eight o'clock on prime time that is a big money spot for networks then they moved it to Sunday, which was also a huge night for them. And just to tell you how nerdy it is, I'm literally looking over and in my closet in my mother's neat handwriting is a box labeled X Files. Oh, <laughs> I was looking at the. I was looking. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they started at Friday, but moved to Sunday at nine nine p.m. Uh, which is also a premiere spot too. It would be even better if you were reading that from one of the TV guides. Like, please tell me you're doing that right now. No, no, I've got to do Wikipedia. I don't have any TV guides here. We think they're probably in the box labeled X-Files. But, <laughs> it, but it's like that was sort of like it was the it was the that was what would follow The Simpsons. Back when The Simpsons was funny, just so everyone knows like, back when they were they, funny. The Simpsons now led into so the Simpsons led into the X Files, and it sort of became big. And I think they actually they they did in fact cross over with the Simpsons in one episode, the the Springfield Files. Yep, I remember. Oh yes, that, that may be a bonus. <laughs> that may be a bonus review. Definitely. 
And it, it was this was just the beginning of the popularity of this show and the the ratings numbers that would just that would just climb, like I said, all the way up to twenty seven million point three four million viewers at its peak in season five. <laughs> and um, so it's like this show was inescapable for several years in the, for several years in the nineties. It was almost as inescapable. It was almost, I don't know how it would stack up to Seinfeld. Seinfeld probably did better, but who knows? It was something that was immediately part of the 90s, immediately sort of absorbed into the public zeitgeist. Like I said, it had the, they had the episode of The Simpsons. They uh, would go on to cross over with uh, Law and Order, of all things. They would... Uh, ish, ish, uh, not really. Uh, but we'll get to that episode. Yeah, we'll get to that eventually. But it's they would cross they, they would cross over with cops, which <laughs> when they really were needing to make gimmick episodes, uh, they would. There, there was. Uh, I'm pretty sure it didn't take that long for uh, the porn parody to to be produced. So we are doing it. It's confirmed that. Are we doing the porn parody? <laughs> You know, I I don't somehow I I worry about that because I read some of that fan and I won't confirm anything else. I'm confident that the porn parody is probably tamer. <laughs> you, you say red pretty boldly. Are you sure you didn't write any as well? I will confirm, neither confirm nor deny that at this time. <laughs> Get a warrant. Neither will I. They're all locked up on the, the any evidence is locked up in the same uh, warehouse that uh, with the implants. Yeah, top men, top men. We will neither confirm nor deny. Get a warrant. Um, just, just the smoking dude gets to read it. Does Red Shoe Diaries count as X Files porn? No. Um, shoot. What have we? What have we got? Uh, there would be uh, this series would spawn two video games. That I re- recall, one of them was the uh, full motion, vi- the interactive full motion video game, which sucked hard. <laughs> the second one was X Files Resistor Serve, which was basically X Files but with Resident Evil zombies. Files. Oh, wait, and no Jill sandwiches though. That's the sad part. There were no Jill sandwiches. I mean, it was fun. It was true. It was very clunky. Well, survival horror, I think, often was at that time. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. During that period of time, survival horror is not great. Um, I would say it is probably uh, it wins because it is certainly the closest uh, video game to actually being uh, in the X Files, but not great. No, I watched the series myself, uh, kind of on and off, and and. I sort of fell off of the myth, fell off of the myth arc, um, uh, probably around season three or four or five or something. I don't remember, but I uh, fell completely off of the myth arc and got com- and wound up getting completely lost by the time the movie had come out. Anybody else have this experience when they initially watched it? I tried to start uh, rewatching it. It was probably five years ago on Netflix when they still it was either Netflix or Amazon, and. Uh, my mistake was I'd start watching it at night on my Wii U pad and I just fall asleep to it. So I'd have like X-File dreams, but uh, I watched the entire series that way. I just don't recall all of it because I fell asleep. Because this myth arc is going to get complicated to the point of being nonsensical. <laughs> uh, Marissa, any, any memories of your first view through of this? My first go at the X-Files, I didn't skip any of those episodes, but I started to like like you said, like slowly find them like less interesting and just droning because they weren't really making sense. And uh, when I would rewatch the show, I would just skip them. <laughs> Most of them. It, they, it, it's sort of weird. Cause it is, it's like you first, you watch it and it's like, you're crazily obsessed. And then, then it doesn't make sense. And then it gets weird. And then you're like, okay, that's great. I'm going to go watch something else. And Vanya, you didn't start watching until later series. Was it hard to jump on the myth arc for you? Well, I kind of just uh, found out about it about a half hour before watching it. So 
There were a lot of difficulties early early on, I think. I was willing to give it a chance, though. I'm really looking forward to, to going through this whole thing, and I think that we can probably uh, get, because there's more there's more characters to, le- to meet. There's a lot more to uncover on this. There's more questions than, more, than answers sometimes. Uh, we'll have different writers come in. We'll have different, we'll have different um, uh, directors come in and the show will go through several different um, uh, iterations and a few interesting, I don't want to say necessarily gimmicks, but um, uh, concepts will will crop up here and there. They never did a musical episode though. No, none of them can sing. That's why. I am so grateful. Although there is the episode where Scully does sing uh, Joy to the World. All right. So uh, let's give some final thoughts on the pilot episode. And we're going to start with Vanya. Uh, I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to pay more attention like you guys next time. That's a good final thought. Okay. Uh, Marissa, give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down on this one. I give it a thumbs up because it, it tied me into the show. Came in late, but I, I watched the first episode by chance from a rerun, and it pulled me in, so uh, thumbs up. Uh, Val, what do you got for me? Uh, for me, it was like a two two axes out of three axes. I think we could have seen more of uh, Scully, but you know, I think we'll get to that. Uh, dear, do you have something? <laughs> I, I give it one and one half pack of Morley's right now. So uh, it it's dated in ways that I expect from that kind of genre but not unwatchably so. Morley brand cigarettes. Conspiratorially cool. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that I think for being a pilot and what it is to give us the bare bones of what we're in for, we've got Mulder, the conspiracy theorist, Scully, the skeptic. They're going to go and have adventures together. It's a solid, it's a solid uh, pilot that you can sell a show on. Uh, Mulder and Scully were perfectly cast from the get right from the get go. Uh, Willem Davis was perfectly cast as the cigarette smoking man. So I'm going to give this, uh, it's still a bit rough around the edges, but it's a thing. So I'm just going to give this two out of three mysterious implants. So I think that we have a pretty positive consensus of the first episode of the X-Files, right? Definitely. Is, uh, Agreed. Yeah. Makes me want to watch the next one for sure. Yeah, so, no, I, I promise. Uh, Deep Throat is better. And, hey, Val, you get to make more sex jokes because Deep Throat. Bazinga. Hey, babe, can you give us a brief synopsis of the next episode that they can look forward to hearing us review? Join us next time when we refer Deep Throat, in which Mulder deeps, dives deeper into the conspiracy, and we get a pre-Buffy Sketh Green. All right. Well, for everybody in the FBI basement, I'm Special Agent Todd saying goodbye for Shannon, Val, Vanya, and Marissa. Good evening. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for more from our other shows on the Medicinal Mass Network.